What I want to do tonight is to give you six reasons not to sin. Now, as I think about your life, and certainly as I think about mine, I think we all have two major problems. Problem number one, we have all sinned. If you agree with that, say amen. amen. Problem number two, sometimes we still all sin. If you agree the person sitting next to you sometimes sins, say amen tonight on that. <laughs> well, they do, and so do you, and so do I. And so sin is a problem not only in our past, before we got saved, but unfortunately, sin is a problem right here and right now, even if we've been saved for a long, long time. Now, Proverbs chapter 14 and verse number 34 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, and I think it speaks very plainly to the matter of sin. And here's what it says, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. That word reproach could mean a disgrace or a shame, but we get the idea that if we are living a right kind of life where we're trying to please God and do what's right, uh, that's, that's a good thing, and that even exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace. It is a reproach. It is a shame, and what I want us to do in this message tonight, and more than likely, this is going to feel more like a Bible study than it is a sermon. That's what it is, but I want to give you six reasons tonight not to sin, and I want to qualify that at the beginning to say that just because we take this message to heart and even ask God to help us not to sin, that doesn't necessarily mean we're never going to sin again. The fact is, sin is something that we're going to struggle with until we get to heaven. We live in a fallen world. We have uh, sinful desires and impulses, and sometimes we get in the flesh, and, and we can react in ways that wouldn't be right, and that wouldn't be pleasing to God. But for some reason, last Monday, God just put this message on my heart, and so I want to just pass it on to you tonight, six reasons that we should have as the goal of our life not to sin. And think about this before we even get into these six reasons. Even though we more than likely will continue to sin every now and then, if we have it as our goal not to sin. In other words, when you wake up in the morning, if you say, God, today I don't want to sin, and I'm asking you to help me to go through this day sin-free. Help me not to do anything or say anything or act in any way that would dishonor you. Help me not to sin. I'm afraid that many of us have bought into the idea that says, well, hey, everybody sins. That's a true statement. But if you let that begin to shape your thinking too much, you're going to minimize sin, and you're going to have the attitude, well, hey, nobody's perfect, everybody sins, what's the big deal? Well, that's what I want us to think about tonight. What is the big deal about sin? And I want to show you six big deals and six reasons that we should not sin. And so, before we get into this, turn to Psalm 32. This is a great passage, and David wrote that after his sins of adultery and murder. And he was feeling uh, pretty badly about his sin. And that leads me to the first reason that we should not sin, and that is sin makes us feel bad. Now, you don't want to do anything that makes you feel bad, and so neither do I. But sin, if you're truly saved, it's going to make you feel bad. One of the ways that I know that I am saved is not that I don't ever sin. I wish I could say that, but but that's not true. One of the ways I know I'm saved is that when I do sin, I feel badly about it. I feel terribly about it. And that's a good thing. In Psalm 32, first in verse number one, David is talking about how good it feels to be forgiven of his sin. 
And he said, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. But now, picking up in verse 3, David begins to reflect on that season in his life between his sin and his repentance. It was somewhere longer than nine months. David committed these sins, and he waited at least nine months before he confessed his sins to God. And notice what he says about that time in his life. He said, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. And so David was saying, after I sinned, I found that I didn't feel so good. I didn't feel so strong. I didn't feel like I normally feel. And he says, my strength, my vitality was turned into the drought of summer. We all know what it's like in the heat of the summer. If you've been out working outside or exercising and not had enough water coming in, or maybe your body temperature just got a little bit hot and you feel weak and you feel tired and you might feel lightheaded. David said his sin made him feel that way. And sin does a similar thing to all of us today. One of the things that happens to us when we get saved, here's one of the things that, that takes place we lose our ability to enjoy sin for very long at all. Now, I know the Bible says there's fun in sin for a season, and there is. But, man, that's a short season, and we're going to feel very badly about it. And so, you know, if for no other reason, we should say, God, I don't want to sin because I don't want to feel weak. I don't want my vitality to be turned into the drought of summer. I don't want to feel like that. And so that's reason enough, but there are other reasons. Number two reason is that sin puts distance between us and God. Sin separates us from God. Now, turn to Isaiah chapter 59, two of the greatest verses in all the Old Testament here. Isaiah chapter 59, and in verse number 1, the Bible says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But now listen to what it says. But your iniquities or your sins have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. And so here the Bible is talking to us about one of the hindrances to prayer is sin. In other words, if you sin, or when you and I sin, and especially if we are living in sin and not dealing with that sin, it's, there's a sense in which God hides his face from us, that God is not listening to our prayers. In fact, the psalmist said in Psalm 68, if I regard iniquity in my heart, if I have sin in my heart, that God won't even hear me when I pray. Now, that doesn't mean that if we sin and ask God to forgive us, that he's not going to hear us. What he's talking about there is if there's something in your life, some sin, whether it's a an attitude or whether it's an action or whether it's something you're saying or somewhere you're going or something you're doing and you don't deal with that and you don't repent of that, that sin is going to negatively affect your prayer life because God cannot uh, look upon sin and God's not going to be uh, as close to you as he would have been without that sin in your life. I've all, I like to think of sin as a wedge. And if you've ever split wood, you know that a wedge is something you put uh, in, in a, after you've cut a tree down, you put that wedge in there, and then you hit that wedge, and the, the wood splits. 
and the wedge splits that wood. Well, in the life of the believer, that's what sin does. It separates us from God. We don't lose our salvation, but we do lose that closeness, and that's a horrible thing. So think about what I've said so far. When we sin, we're going to feel badly about it, and not only that, it's going to separate us from God. We're not going to be as close to Him. So that's a, that's a bad combination. The third thing that happens when we sin, you may never have thought about this, but sin embarrasses the angels. Did you know that? That when you sin, the angels, first of all, they see that sin, and they are embarrassed. Now, go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 4, because this is a very interesting verse, and I want to give you just a moment to find it. 1 Corinthians chapter number 4, and in verse number 9, Paul is talking about what he's going through in his life, and he's talking specifically about the suffering that he is going through because of his faith in Jesus Christ, and he's talking about how all the people in his world can see what's happening to him. They're seeing him suffer for Christ, but he says something very interesting. He says, not only can the people see what's happening to me, but the angels themselves can see uh, what I'm going through. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9. Paul said, for I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. Now, that word spectacle is an interesting word. It literally means a theater, a theater. And so what Paul was saying is, he's saying, my life and what I'm going through is on display not only for people to see, but it is on its own display for the angels to see. Now, I think all of us are very much aware that God knows everything, right? I mean, we know God knows. God sees everything, everything you do. God sees it. Everything you say, God hears it. God knows everything. But I don't know if we've thought as much about the fact that the angels, and I know I've, we've talked about angels in the past and how many myriads and even millions of angels that there, that there are in heaven. And we know that God sends His angels to protect us and to watch over us. And the Bible even says that in heaven, uh, children can see the face of angels. And so one day we'll be able to see the faces of angels. Now, as it is now, we can't see the angels, uh, most likely. Sometimes you might can see an angel and you might not even know that that angel is an, is an angel. It may be an angel in disguise. And we read about that in Hebrews chapter 13. But as a, as a general rule, we can't see angels. But the Bible here is saying that angels can see us. Now, I got thinking about this the other day. And I thought, well, now, you know, that means that every time that I've ever sinned in my life, said something I shouldn't have said, done something I shouldn't have done, thought something I shouldn't have thought, acted in a way I shouldn't have acted. I know God saw that, and that's why we go back to God and ask God to forgive us because we're ashamed about it. But I got to thinking, not only did God see it, but the angels saw that. Because we're a theater. What do you do at a theater? You watch what's on display. Paul's saying in this theater, we're on display. And some of the ones who are watching us are the angels. And I got thinking about that. And I got thinking about it because I, I love angels and I'm thankful for angels and I pray for angels to watch over us and to help us and, and to keep us safe. And I know you do too. But I got thinking about all the sins I've ever committed in my life. And I thought, you know what? The angels have seen every one of those sins because I'm on, I'm on display. I can see it. And I did something the other night 
I, I was in bed thinking about this. I just lay, laying there, and I was thinking about that. And I, I, I spoke to the angels. I don't know if I've ever spoken to an angel. And I know we're not supposed to pray to angels, so don't send me an email. I know we're not supposed to pray to angels. We, we pray to God. I understand that. But I want you to hear the spirit that I said this. And I know that angels, by the way, don't forgive sins. I do understand only Jesus can forgive us of our sins. I got that. But I got thinking about the angels have seen everything I've ever done wrong. And it just made me feel badly. And so I said to the angels, I said, angels, I want to just say to you, I'm sorry for every sin that I have ever committed and ever made you watch or made you listen to. And I just ask you, angels, to forgive me of those sins. Now, literally, I know that angels don't forgive sins, Jesus forgives sins. But let me just take this step one step further. If I sin against you, aren't I supposed to come to you and ask you to forgive me of my sin against you? Is that right? What the Bible says I'm supposed to do, right? Now, let me ask you a question. Do you literally have the ability to wash my sins away? No. If I'm rude to you and I say, hey, please forgive me for that, you'll, forgive, you'll say I forgive you, and you do forgive me, but technically and literally, you, didn't, you can't take that sin. You can't expunge that sin out of my heart. Why would I go ask you to forgive me if you can't forgive me? The reason I would ask you to forgive me if I've sinned against you is so that my relationship with you can be all that God wants it to be. It's to restore what might be a broken relationship, to say, I'm sorry for acting that way. And when you say, I forgive you, you don't mean, John, I'm washing your sins away. You can't do that. Only Jesus can do that. But when you say, John, I forgive you, what you're saying is, I'm not going to hold that against you. I'll let that go. God has forgiven me. I'm going to forgive you. And so it was in that spirit the other night that I said to the angels, I'm sorry for every sin I've ever committed and made you listen to or watch or anything and I'm asking you to forgive me. And I said that to the angels because I don't want there to be anything between me and the angels. Now, I know Jesus is the one who washes our sins away, and I want to make clear on that because if you walked in halfway through and you said, this fellow's up there asking the angels to forgive him, you're going to miss the spirit that I'm saying that. I said that to the angels because if I'm on display, if I'm in the theater, if they're watching what's happening down here, and I've certainly sinned in my life, I think I owe it to them to acknowledge that. And just like I would go to you and ask you, please don't hold it against me. I went to the angels and I said, I'm asking you not to hold it against me either. And certainly I'm trusting Jesus, his blood to wash those sins away. But if you think about that, I'm telling you that that'll change how you view sin. It'll change how you view a conversation that might involve gossip. It'll change how you view any type of temptation or sin. If you think, now wait a second, if I sin, not only does God see it, the Father, not only does Jesus see it, not only is the Holy Spirit aware of it, that ought to be enough, but the angels, Gabriel, Michael, all these other angels, we're on display. Hey, they have to be watching us. God's sending them to protect us. And so we say, I don't want to do anything that would embarrass the angels or make the angels in any way feel uncomfortable. So I'm praying the next time that you or I gets tempted to sin, that God will bring this to our memory. Don't say anything 
Don't do anything that would embarrass the angels or cause them to, uh, as, as someone says, to make the angels blush. We wouldn't want to do that. Now, third thing, a third reason that we should not sin is because sin breaks the heart of God. Now, let me give you a scripture verse to write down. In Luke chapter 62, I'm sorry, in Luke chapter 22 and in verse number 61, there's where we read about Peter denying that he knew Jesus. And after his third denial, the rooster crowed. Peter remembered the words of Jesus where Jesus had said, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Luke twenty two sixty one says, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Every time I read that, chap, that passage, I, think, I try to imagine what type of look did Jesus give Peter? I don't think Jesus gave Peter a look like where he was doing like this, shaking his fist or I told you so. I think Jesus gave Peter a look of disappointment. Like, I knew you were going to do that, but just watching you commit that sin and listening to you deny me, it actually has broken my heart. So we wouldn't want to do anything that would break the heart of God. And that, that's, a, that's an incentive, and that's a motivation not to sin. And the next reason we shouldn't sin is because sin damages our witness for Jesus Christ. Now, turn back, if you would, to 2 Samuel chapter number 12, because I, I don't want to just read this to you. I, I want you to see this. 2 Samuel chapter 12 is an interesting passage of Scripture. We know in chapter number 11 that David committed the sins of adultery, followed up with the sin of murder. So we would call those two pretty big sins. Well, all sins are big, but I'm just saying in our minds, we tend to put a, a higher premium on those, and, and we should. But in chapter 12, a man named Nathan went to David and confronted David with his sin. And he said, David, what you've done is wrong. And God used the words of Nathan the prophet to convict David. And the reason I said earlier that it was about nine months before David confessed those sins is because as we come towards the end of what Nathan is saying uh, to David, we find that Bathsheba is about to give birth to a child, the child that had been conceived in that act of immorality, and we know that that child died. And so David waited about the length of time for that child to be born before he dealt with his sin. And so, but he did deal with it. He did ask God's forgiveness and God forgave him. And in verse number 13 of 2 Samuel 12, the Bible says, so David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. So there's the confession. That's all we have to say is just to confess that to God. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. And so Nathan is saying to David, God has forgiven you. You have confessed your sin before the Lord. You have repented of your sin. We read about David's repentance in Psalm 51. It's the greatest chapter in the Bible on repentance. And uh, if you haven't read Psalm 51 in a while, you ought to just read that. See if you can't identify with David. But look in verse number 14. Nathan said, however, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is to be born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house. But notice what Nathan said to David. He said, David, your sins are forgiven you. God's not holding this against you. You are clean in God's sight. However, this sin that you have committed 
does not come without consequences because by this deed you had given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. And so that leads me to say tonight that sin damages our witness for Jesus Christ. You can commit a sin and ask God to forgive you of that sin and he will forgive you. But that doesn't necessarily mean that other people weren't hurt by that sin. And it doesn't necessarily mean that your witness for Christ is not going to be damaged by that sin. And so I'm giving you these reasons tonight to say, hey, we are all tempted to sin. Every day we're tempted to do something, say something, think something, or whatever. And all I'm trying to say tonight is before we give in to that sin, we need to have a mindset that says, I don't want to sin and there's some good reasons I don't want to, as opposed to a mindset that says, hey, nobody's perfect. And so if I sin, what's the big deal? I'll just ask God to forgive me and he'll forgive me. And you know what? That's right. If you ask God to forgive you, he'll forgive you. But notice what's going to happen between your sin and that forgiveness. You're going to feel bad. There's going to be distance between you and God. And it embarrasses the angels. It breaks the heart of God. And not only that, sin damages our witness for Jesus. So these reasons I'm giving you alone, the first five are enough to say, God, help me to never sin again. Help me to live a life of purity before you and just not to sin. Now, there's another reason in reason number six. And the reason I gave six is because six is an imperfect number and sin is an imperfect thing. So I was trying to match my numbers with my topic and I think I got it just right. But on number six, notice what I've said. Sin weakens our spiritual power. Sin weakens our spiritual power. Keep in mind that when we sin, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. And so when we sin, that doesn't diminish the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives. In other words, He's not going to leave us. We don't lose our salvation. But I'll tell you what sin does. It diminishes the Holy Spirit's power in our lives. And I think Dr. Kendall was probably the one who taught, gave us the analogy of a dove. Of course, in Scripture gave us the analogy of the dove, that the Holy Spirit is very much like a dove. He's gentle. He's He's sensitive. And uh, we read at the baptism of Jesus, the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove came and landed on Jesus. And so the, the dove is the biblical uh, imagery for the Holy Spirit. But a dove, as Dr. Kendall taught us, is a very sensitive animal, sensitive bird. And if it's frightened or there's a loud noise, something makes that dove feel uncomfortable, what's that dove going to do? It's going to just flutter away. Well, that's what the Holy Spirit does. He doesn't flutter away in the sense that he literally leaves us. Don't make that illustration work harder than it's intended to work. But his, it's not that his presence leaves us, but it's that his power leaves us. In other words, if, if all weekend I was just living in sin, doing things I ought not to do, saying things I ought not to say, going places I ought not to go, and then come up here to preach... Well, I can't expect to have any of God's power on me if I've done that, and especially if I've not repented of that and confessed that, because I can't have God's power if I'm not living rightly before God. And the same is true for you. And so if you're a Sunday school teacher or do anything for the Lord, or if you, you know, I mean, I, I would be foolish tonight to get up here and try to preach to you on a subject like sin 
without first searching my own heart and asking God to forgive me and cleanse me of my sins. That's always for, for my whole preaching ministry. One of the last things I do before I stand up here to preach is I say, God, please forgive me and cleanse me of all my sins. And if there's a specific sin that comes to mind, I say, God, forgive me for that sin. I ask you to forgive me and I receive your forgiveness by faith. One of the last things I say before I ever start a sermon. And then I say, God, I ask you to anoint me and to fill me with your Holy Spirit when I stand there tonight to preach. And I say, I receive that by faith. I would be foolish to stand up here unforgiven and unanointed by the Holy Spirit. Be a foolish. It'd be a waste of my time and a waste of yours. And so what we want to say is, say, God, I don't want to do anything that would weaken my power that would cause the Holy Spirit, he's not going to leave me. I'm not going to lose my salvation. I'm thankful for that. But God, I don't want to lose the anointing of God on my life. I want to be a clean vessel. Now, the problem with everything I've said is right. And I know after you listen to this, you say, I don't ever want to sin again. How many of you now would say, I never want to sin again? Raise your hand. Say amen. Now, if you didn't raise your hand, I'm a little worried about you because this, this just makes me never want to sin again. I mean, good night makes us feel bad, put distance between us and God, embarrasses the angels, breaks the heart of God, damages our witness for Jesus, weakens our spiritual power, and yet, even though we don't want to sin again, more than likely, we will. That's just the reality of it. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. The person you're sitting next to tonight is not perfect. And that's what I said in the beginning. We have two problems. We have sinned, and we still sin. And let me take that one step further. We will not reach perfection until we get to heaven. Now, I wish that I could say we would. I think it's probably possible, but I don't think... I've known too many Christians who are far more godly and mature than I am who laid in their life, I mean, like right before they died, were very aware of their own sinfulness. I'm thinking of one man right now. I'm not going to call his name. But not many days before this man died, one of my heroes, he was sharing in a public setting how he had been rude to a man in an airport. And then, evidently, that man walked off, and he never was able to apologize to that man but he asked God to forgive him for what he said. Now, when he said what he said, I personally didn't think it was all that bad. I, in fact, when he said what he said, I thought, well, now, if we could just get it down to, if that's the worst thing we did, I mean, that's just not so bad. What he said was, he was sitting, he was in an airport, and he was going to sit down uh, in a seat there, waiting on the plane. And when he sat down, a man sitting in the seat next to him looked over at him and said, that seat is reserved. And this pastor looked back at him and said, well, I don't see anybody's name on it. And either the pastor, I guess the pastor walked away to give that man his seat for whoever he was saving it for. And he said when he walked away, the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said that was rude, what you said. Now, that's what I'm saying. If we could get it down to that. I mean, I know that's bad, but there's a lot of stuff worse than that out there. But this man was so, in fact, when that pastor told that story, he teared up. I'm not going to say he sobbed uncontrolled. He didn't do that. But he was touched in his heart because he was convicted by the Holy Spirit because of his sin. Now, this is one of the godliest men I've ever known in my life. And he, when he told that story, he didn't know it at the time, but he was only a few weeks from heaven. So what I'm saying is, I've known far too many people 
who either known them personally or known of them, who, I mean, were all in on God. And late in their life, they're still asking God to forgive them. In fact, I believe, Billy Graham said this, not too awfully long before he died. He said, the closer we get to the light, the more aware we are of our own sin. And so, and that's proving the point I'm trying to make. Until we get to heaven, I think we're going to become more aware of our sins, not less aware. And sins that used to, maybe we would have just left off and said, well, that's not that big a deal compared to this. Those are the sins that may bother us the most because we know that in that moment we didn't respond. Like God would have us to respond. Maybe we didn't have the kindness that God would have us to have. What I'm saying is we're not going to be perfect until we get to heaven. God, one, another pastor said this, one of the greatest quotes I've ever heard on sin. He said, God is not looking for perfection. God is looking for progression. So it's not that God is saying, okay, John, okay, whatever your name is, what I want you to do now is to become sinless. No. But I'll tell you what I do believe God is hoping for and looking for and and working with us to help us to achieve this, not that we would become sinless, but that we would sin less. And so, what is our goal? Our goal is not to sin. What do we do if we sin? That's why it says in 1 John, if, if we sin, and, and we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We confess our sins. I was reading the other day in one of my books at home about this whole idea of sin, and, and I was reading about Peter and his sin of denying Jesus, and the author of that book said something, and I said, I wish I could have come up, I wish I could have said it as well as he said it. Here's what he said. He said, Peter's character was not so much revealed by his sin as it was revealed by his repentance. Now, you think about that. Did Peter deny that he knew Jesus? Yes, he did. But, yes, he did commit that sin. But that's not really who Peter was in his heart. When you study Peter's repentance and how badly he felt about that sin, now you're seeing Peter. Same thing's true for David. If you want to know, I heard a pastor say one time, I couldn't believe this. And this, I respect this man too. He said, you know, of all the Bible characters that out there or that are in the Bible, he said, David is one of my least favorite Bible characters. And I thought, well, now I don't feel that way about David. He's one of my favorite Bible characters. He's a man after God's own heart. The pastor talked about the sins he committed and so on. He said, I just can't hold up as my favorite character, somebody who has committed adultery and murder. I thought, well, we, we, we don't hold that up, but still, I mean... Think about that sentence I read. Apply that to David. David's character, David's heart is seen not so much in his sin as it is in his repentance. In other words, those sins David committed, that wasn't the real David. I mean, he did that. That was part of David. That was his flesh. But that wasn't his heart. David was a man after God's own heart. And if you want to know who David was, don't focus on his sin Focus on his repentance and how he confessed that sin to God and God forgave him of that sin. And so I would say this tonight. As I study the life of Jesus and his sinlessness, and then I look at my life and I think, God, I'm not even in the same stratosphere with Jesus. I'm not even anywhere near to Jesus. When I look at Jesus, I feel like such a great 
sinner. And I am. But you know what? We have a great Savior. And the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse us of all sin. I encourage you tonight. You may be like me and you say, you know what? I, about the time I get thinking I'm not going to sin anymore, I sin again. And you think, man, I'm just so disappointed in myself. Let me tell you something. Sometimes we may feel like great sinners and we are great sinners. But you know what we can become? We can become great repenters. And if we will take our sins to Jesus, lay them open and lay them bare, asking him to forgive us and cleanse us. It just may be that our true heart is known more in our repentance than it was in our sin. And when we take those sins to God, asking Him to forgive us and cleanse us, we find that we have a great Savior. And that's why David said, beginning in Psalm 32, Blessed is he, happy is he, whose sin is forgiven, whose transgression has been removed, whose iniquity has been blotted out. David said, before I repented, man, I was feeling the weight of this sin. But now that I've confessed it to God, my closest to him has been restored. Now I feel better. Even in my physical body, I feel stronger. Now my witness for Christ is being restored. And now that intimacy with him that I so treasure, it has been brought back. And so whatever you have done in your life tonight, the good news is this. Jesus Christ came to this earth to die on a cross to pay for our sins. And if you will come to him confessing those sins, there's not a sin that you have ever committed that Christ will not forgive. I love the verse in Romans that says, where sin abounds, grace superabounds. And for the child of God, grace always trumps sin. Amen. And so, Father, tonight, it's, we're looking at it both ways. On the one hand, God, we don't want to sin. And we ask you, as we begin a new week, help us not to sin. And when we're tempted, help us to remember some of these things we've talked about tonight. And yet, God, as we think about sins that we have committed, we can't go back and undo those. But we can bring them to you, asking for forgiveness and cleansing. And that's what we do tonight. Maybe you came to the service. Maybe some of our students came to the service or an adult came in here tonight and you're feeling guilty over some sin that you committed yesterday or Friday night or last week. Maybe it's been a little bit, maybe it's been a month or two ago. Maybe it's been a long time ago. But it's a sin. And maybe you're kind of like David. You've not really dealt with that sin yet. You've not brought that sin to God in confession and repentance. Tonight you can do that. You can be cleansed of that sin. Would you just ask Jesus Christ right now to forgive you? Right now, wherever you're sitting, Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord, of whatever sin is on your heart tonight. Some need to be saved maybe in this room tonight. Would you just say, God, forgive me of all my sins. There'd be so many you can't even name them, but just that's okay. We're not forgiven and saved based on the thoroughness of our confession, but by a repentant heart. Just say, God, forgive me and cleanse my sins. Come into my heart and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me, and I trust you to do it. In Jesus' name I pray and all the people said, amen and amen.